Hey guys, welcome back to Screenworthy, brought to you as always by The Mind Refinery. I'm your host, Kyle Bodanis. With all the talk of GameStop and Wall Street in the news, we thought it would be a good time to look at how Wall Street is depicted in cinema. So this episode, Mind Refinery creative John Neal and I are going to look at the five best flicks about Wall Street. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and if you have time, follow The Mind Refinery on social media. And now, here's the show. All right, guys, here today to talk about the five best Wall Street films is Mind Refinery creative John Neal. Hello. What up? Okay. What's going on? Uh, Not much. You know, we're just uh, doing a lot of research into just how crummy Wall Street is via cinema, and uh, it's always uplifting. Oh, it is. (laughs) Um, So the big news of 2021 has been the GameStop saga, where a bunch of scrappy Reddit traders took on wall street hedge funds and caused a brouhaha of sorts that saw billions of dollars of losses at these uh hedge funds uh this ragtag group beat the shorters at their own shorting game and although the long results of the situation are up for debate it has exposed a major flaw in the wall street game and all of us love to see it now, because of these Wall Street dudes are snake oil salesmen and uh, morally reprehensible human beings, um, I felt that uh, we should revisit, you know, other films that kind of looked at these morally reprehensible human beings. Uh, so in light of all this Wall Street talk, we're going to look at some of the most popular Wall Street flicks, both scripted and documentary um, of all time, and look at how they p- portray Wall Street culture and its effect on existence. Spoiler alert, none of it is good. Um, so our discussion points are going to kind of center around a few items, you know, just our initial thoughts, but also what is the scene in these films that best describe how, uh, you know, shitty wall street is, um, who are the sleaziest characters and like, what is the overall message that is kind of brought out by these films? Although they are, many of the same are the same. They all kind of say something different. So, you know, we're going to go through that and uh, we're going to get right into it and talk about the mother of all Wall Street films. We all know this one directed by Oliver fucking Stone. Definitely one of the most Oliver Stone movies of all time. Uh, I think trumped only by JFK uh, yeah. is Wall Street. Hell yeah. John. Wall Street. What's your thoughts on Wall Street? Did you rewatch? <laughs> did you rewatch this movie for it? Yes, I did. I, okay. I saw I saw it once, maybe like uh, ten or twelve years ago, and I haven't rewatched it since. But I actually uh, enjoyed it a lot more the second time I saw it. It's a good flick. It's it it is good. It is good. Yes, it's a good flick. So what are your so what were you, upon this watching? Like, what were your thoughts on it? Well, it's it's a pretty uh, it's it's a pretty gritty Wall Street movie, even just down to like the camera style and just how that film sort of flows. I mean, what are my thoughts on it? It's, it's, uh, it's sort of a great character piece for Michael Douglas because he absolutely kills it in that movie as Gordon Gecko. I think he won an Oscar for that. I can't really think of anybody else who like should have been cast. You know what I mean? Like there's always in Hollywood lore, alternative casting things that come up, but I can't like, he is so spot on with it. Yeah. I can't picture anybody else playing. No, he's so good with it. Whereas Charlie Sheen, uh, I could see anybody in that role, and it would probably be the same movie. Um, realistically, I agree. I think it really. I think Bud is just kind of a set piece that revolves around the the idea of Gordon Gecko. I think if anything that Charlie Sheen plays. I mean, in any of these movies, whether they're like documentary or you know fictional, um, 
like one of the big tropes in it is this idea of you know the young upstart who's fresh-faced and idealistic and ambitious Mm -hmm. who gets like corrupted by um you know the whole wall street mechanism and stuff and i do agree with that i think anybody could have really played that could have played that but like michael douglas is just so like slithery and perfect and nasty and um he, he's really quite intimidating in it like he definitely seems like a kind of figure you don't fuck with and he also has this sort of layer of like you you don't want to disappoint this guy like when he speaks you listen kind of thing even even though there's that intimidation like you 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 want to please michael douglas <laughs> you know what i mean like he's just got so many layers for that character like do you think that's more from like like a paternal sense or like he's a hollywood gatekeeper sorry not hollywood gatekeeper wall street gatekeeper sense a bit of both honestly because i think that's part of his sort of uh at least the thing that bud is drawn to as well as his mentorship and and sort of his, you know, putting his arm around him. He's part of his inner circle, you know, because I think he just, as a business person, like initially in the movie, he really respects him just because of the myths and, and well, not myths, but like his sort of vibe and how everybody talks about him and all this stuff. But there's definitely sort of a, a sort of a paternal thing, you know, as well, because his dad, played by Martin Sheen, is the complete opposite of Gordon Gecko, right? So it's sort of, because he's got that Wall Street mentality, there's a bit of that that he, that he, um, that he seeks out from Gecko, the, soul, the whole paternal thing. Because even him and his dad get into an argument in the film about how he didn't take any chances and he played it safe and all that stuff, right? So he's heavily influenced by, by Gecko in that way as well. that's the part of his character i find like that's the one part of the the character i I thought was dynamic i didn't really think i definitely agree it could have been fucking anybody was this idea of like he kind of looked at his dad as like one of these you know the working stiff and um he's looking for something different than that and i think you see that like with um hal holbrook's character like lou Mannheim at the beginning Mm -hmm. and throughout it because he's always kind of like being like you know he's this i he comes from this idea of as traders and what we're doing we're actually helping build companies and helping people invest in companies and like it kind of mirrors his dad which is why he kind of is like ignores it mm-hmm. and starts like moving towards more of the gordon gecko type so he's always looking he kind of thinks those people are schnooks and then but then at the end he's like oh yeah this was an entire fuck up and i just like ruined my life and the life of a bunch of other people so like i thought that was really i thought that was really well done i thought that um I think there's just so many scenes in this that are like quintessential and tropes that other movies that came after it have taken. Yeah. Well, like it's really you... the first one, right? Yeah, to yeah. Sort of do this, so yeah. So, what scenes do you feel, you know, kind of defines the the Wall Street situation in this and how in its terribleness? In in this movie in particular, I guess the first one I can think of is where they have the meeting with 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 Blue Star. Like with the inner circle of Blue Star, it's about I think three quarters of the way through the film, or just past the halfway point where they is talk this about the greed is good scene. This this would be after that. Oh, it's um, after that, yeah. Yeah, this is where they had just like the meeting with Martin Sheen and and, and the heads of the unions. Yes, and, yes, and they yes. and they talk about how they're going to do it, and Martin Sheen's character just sees right through it, right at at the end of the scene. He sort of gets the big picture right whereas everyone else is kind of drawn in by the numbers he's the only one in the room that kind of plays the devil's advocate and sticks to his guns and it's a direct you know clash of 
the two different sort of ways of thinking when it comes to money uh, and when it comes to people. And, you know, it's Bud's idea, right? The whole thing was, was Bud's plan and his own father sort of, you know, destroys that, <laughs> right, in that scene. Um, that one in particular, just because of, 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 of sort of the, you get to see the two sides sort of banging heads, right? The little guy and the tycoon. And I think the point with that, just from like Oliver Stone as a filmmaker, showing the two different sides of America, just in terms of like how they perceive the, you know, how America became like a financial superpower, like a lot of it post-war in a regulated market, uh, heavy into manufacturing, unions are important. And that's kind of the bedrock by which, you know, the American financial power is created. But then you get the guys like Gordon Gecko who are there to pillage it and you know inevitably destroy the united states as a financial uh superpower um and it's it's interesting how he does that because he's always playing with that and i think it's good because like as you were saying it comes after the greed is good scene like mm -hmm. for me that was the one that kind yeah. of really like defines this uh, how shitty it is because i mean like for a generation of individuals in reagan's america it was like the quintessentially oliver stone example of how morally depraved wall street is mm -hmm. and then the for the other half of a generation it was like a justification for all the shitty things that they would do and like the blatant pursuit of wealth they're like yeah fucking right greed is good and i'm gonna do this and do cocaine and bang strippers and Absolute, put it on the, and put it on the company and <laughs> um you know, like, I'm sure at the time this seemed over the top, and now looking back at it, it seems, I know, going through, like, dot-com, bubble burst, financial crisis, you know, and we know that these guys are fucking dickheads. You know, they believe in social Darwinism, this Herbert Spencer opinion of that what they do is, you know, evolution somehow. And, uh, you know, like, referencing books like The Selfish Gene and shit like yeah. that as, like, scientific justification. I mean, like... <laughs> other than the greed is like the only one business type movie speech that's more famous than that i'm pretty sure is the glenn Gree, glenn ross uh, alec baldwin speech yeah i think so uh, coffee's yeah for coffee's closers. for closers that's it like other than that like people are you know jerking off in their fucking trading uh cubicle uh to this kind of shit you know what i mean i mean mm -hmm. for, an honorable mention for me also goes to the money never sleeps uh scene where he's like on the beach with the largest cell phone i've ever seen <laughs> um being like yo if you want to get with daryl hannah yo you bring in more cheddar yeah. and it has this like sith apprentice yeah. type situation like i think more than paternal it's like this like sith versus not like i'm wondering if that was like a did they use that as a benchmark for it Oh, oh, always two there are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, always two. There's always two creepy fucks at every uh, investment firm, at every holding company. Um, he just fucking, it's like fucking Palpatine. He just kills the dudes in his sleep. Kills the dudes. Uh, what, what's the fucking, what's, so what's Palpatine's fucking... Oh, Darth Plagueis. Darth Plagueis just kills him in his sleep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, like, I don't know for me, like, the sleaziest character should be fairly obvious in this. It's the king himself, Gordon Gecko. Well, yeah that's the whole movie sort of centers around him yeah it's a tour de force the whole fucking way and gordon gecko becomes this like somehow people think it's good i like that's the that's the thing that always like i i'm always wondering how like a generation of traders are like yeah this gordon gecko shit is awesome <laughs> i don't know i'm like you douche fucks oh to be in the 80s man honestly oh it's reagan's america it's like fucking <laughs> if you can see an old man just push him over and take his wallet. He's That's... just taking up vital space. Greed is good. Fuck you. So, 
on that greed is a good idea, like, what do you think this film's biggest contribution to the, like, the pop culture perception of Wall Street is? Um, well, I mean, I, I guess the big takeaway is that, uh, you know, a few people can carve it all up. I guess, like, that's the, that's the number one thing for me, right, is that just that. <laughs> no, I think that's actually a really good point, because, like, as I was saying kind of earlier about, like, how the U.S. kind of gained its financial power and, like, all these companies that took, like, lifetimes and hard work to build, you get these raiders who just come in and kind of, it just takes two people to kind of destroy it. I also think it's maybe the first, well... I, I'm not. Is this like 100% the first movie ever about Wall Street and sort of this kind of mentality about Wall Street? First, of I don't. All? I don't think so. I think there's other ones. There's definitely more independent ones I was looking at, but I think this is the first one that really penetrates the like pop culture lexicon and Wall Street as an idea in in entertainment. I mean, other than like right, at least modern day sort of Wall Street as it's known, I guess would be fair. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of pulling the curtain back on, again, like, it's it's Reagan's America and what Wall Street is, and, like, this whole we need to deregulate, deregulate, deregulate kind of thing. I guess the big uh, thing that I also took away from this, just building off of the first thing I said, which is that, you know, that, that there's a handful of people that can just, at the flip of a switch, sort of, you know, change everybody's lives just for the purposes of, you know, buying another plane. And yeah. I guess that's and I guess that's the biggest thing because they kind of have a the Terrence Stamp character in the film is sort of well he is a Gordon Gecko but he's doesn't exactly go as far as Gecko like they when they go to him to 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 um propose a new blue star deal and cut Gecko out of it so that he can basically keep the company together he's a tycoon that keeps companies together so he's got the the moral compass centered enough where he doesn't want to basically, you know, do that, fire a bunch of people just to get another plane. Right? Yeah. And Terrence Sam's character, like he's very much like, we like to keep these investments cooking yes. and like that's, and it's a slower game, but at the end of the day, you're making money and like, you're doing at least what the business was intended to do. Yes. And I'm sure he has an easier time sleeping at night. Yes. As well. Yes. On piles of money, but at least a significantly less human suffering. Yes. Although I'm sure in real life, Terrence Stamp's character would have probably <laughs> fucked over a bunch of people. Um, so I want to move on to the next one. I, and this is the first time you saw this one. The mm -hmm. Smartest Guys in the Room, based on the mm -hmm. book by Fortune Magazine reporters Bethany McLean and Peter Elkind. Uh, this, like, they basically created this whole article called... Uh, it, it was titled... Um, it just asked a very simple question in the title. Is Enron's overpriced and it kind of like pulled back the veil on all this like financial chicanery that was going on in this company um and this was the documentary uh, as a result of it and both of them were in <clears throat> both uh reporters were in it what did you think it was great you know it, it's i of course had seen other documentaries like inside job and things like that before i had seen this so it was just more it, it was more the same really just as far as what uh like the heaviness of it and, and, and the implications for what the, these gentlemen did with Enron, but it was a great documentary. I, I really enjoyed, uh, I really enjoyed how well it was put together, um, how easy it was to understand because, you know, some of these things can be a little confusing if, if you're certainly not familiar with the backstory on everything. Right. But this is pre 2008 collapse as well when this happened. 
So I th- I think as a subtle note for all of these, I mean, most of them kind of have to explain. It's funny because uh, we're going to get into the Wolf of Wall Street. Wolf of Wall Street kind of makes a joke of not explaining it to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wall Street is more about the culture. But three of the films we're going to look at, like they get into the nitty gritty about yeah. how the mechanism of it and i like i think I, I think all of them do a fairly good job overall um i think this one's really good too because this is kind of a complex situation that they're kind of dealing with not quite as complex as a credit default swap shit yeah from 2008 but they're really kind of looking at like from you know a cinematic point of view the layers and you know the characters involved in this i mean like five minutes of watching this movie and you're kind of like pissed off oh yeah absolutely so like and it was really well done i thought i mean like well let's look at let's look at some of the scenes like what for you were the, you know was the scene that really kind of defined the shittiness of wall street in this honestly all all of the congressional depositions they're classic are they're just, just are just infuriating to watch because like the documentary does such a good job of of basically sort of showing you everything leading up to that the circumstances that the questions are about and then they show you the deposition and you're just like, what the fuck? <laughs> Did they really say that? You know what I mean? Uh, so, you know, this is a 2005 documentary, I believe. Yep. Right. Pre like inside job and stuff. So, yeah, it, it's yep. it's uh, it's fucking infuriating, man. <laughs> and I think you see some of the techniques in this film in inside job too, which mm-hmm. I think just inside job has a higher budget um, and gets to kind of like continue with what is the depositions are the worst. Like it, it reminds me of like me coming home at 4 a.m. on a Wednesday when I'm like 18 and then trying to explain to my parents why that was something acceptable. Yeah. And they're just like, what the fuck are you talking about? You're an idiot. Because I mean like the Jeff Skilling stuff, you're just like when he, when he says, <sighs> when he's yeah. like, I, I feel bad for all the people who lost their jobs <laughs> and their money. Yeah. I'm Even like, though he sold everything and got out when he yeah. saw it coming. Yeah. The big one for me is like when the Enron traders basically engineer an entire energy crisis at the behest of their superiors and Jeff Skilling denies the whole situation yeah. along with uh, Kenny Boy, Kenny Lay. <laughs> um, big Ken. So, uh, like when they end, like engineering the whole fucking energy crisis is just fucking classic. Like I'm just like, these guys literally were calling because it has like the tape of them mm-hmm. calling the like the power plants that they own. Oh, it's so crazy. And they're like telling them to turn off the power. And you then, could uh, just come up with an excuse to turn off the power so we can just fucking make some money. What do you think? Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> and it's like, they're not even doing it casually. They literally just say that. Yeah. They're make like, an hey, excuse. Yeah. They're like, if you turn off the generator, uh, how long does it take you? Can you have that on, you know, two to three hours? Yeah, just like three hours. Yeah. Just, just turn it off for three hours. Yeah, just it's... enough to us to start like fucking extorting money, and then the best is basically like that's how Arnold Schwarzenegger became fucking yeah uh, governor because like Ray Davis got Gray Davis got like recalled because of it, mm-hmm. and just the whole thing is insane. That yeah, like it's wild. Just pretty much the whole way through, you're just like I can't believe that that this is allowed to happen. And, and nobody did anything about this. It's basically the who shot Mr. Burns, like, episode of the Simpsons story arc actually in real life, but removed the sun and put in fucking 
just yeah. like the energy grid in California. So like, I mean, there was that, um, also like, again, uh, I think we talked about this before, like when Bethany McLean, one of the reporters is just like interviewing, I think it was Andrew Fastow and he was just like, they're like, how does Enron make money? <laughs> and he's like, I got to call my boss and we'll talk, I'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. No, like exactly. if you go to anyone at McDonald's and been like, how does McDonald's make money? <laughs> they'll be like, we sell fries and real estate. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, thank you for answering my question. Very simple question. Yes. I didn't realize that this was going to be, I didn't realize that that was the hardball. <laughs> my favorite is when he calls the one guy an asshole. Remember on the, on the call as well. Um, a skilling calls the guy and he's like, can you, how come you guys don't produce a document showing where your money, like how you're making your money. Uh, he's like, good he's question. Like, good question, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's cheering like this is fucking awesome. Like, ah, Skilling's the man. Fuck that yeah. guy. <laughs> <laughs> Skilling is fucking on it. Fucking uh. steadfast leadership. And uh, like those two, and especially like like when it's talking about the Kenny Lay. And I mean, the Andrew Fastow for me was the slimiest character in it. Yeah. Because... I mean, first of all, the like, Dark Prince. Is that what they used to call him? <laughs> yeah, the Dark Prince. The Dark Prince part. And also they have like Dear Mr. Fantasy by Traffic playing <laughs> when he's coming. And he's clearly the guy who's like got a and he's creating shell corporations yeah. just to hide like debt. <laughs> and I'm like I, if a company's registering zero debt, I don't know, like I have yeah. zero education in finance, and I can tell you that that is probably not real. Yeah, I suspect a red flag somewhere. Yeah, it was fucking, it was really good. And uh, I'm actually surprised. I'm, I don't know if this got any Oscar love, um, but it was just like a really, really, really good. Um, oh, it was nominated for Best Feature, Best Documentary Feature. Um, so nice. that's cool because it was just like fucking really, really well done. And honestly, it's weird when we watch any of these. And as we get into the inside job, like we'll talk about that more, mm -hmm. is that these things kind of happened in our lifetime. And it's interesting how they happen and they have massive ramifications on what you're doing. And then, like, the entire public has no idea that this shit is actually happening. Yeah. Next, I kind of want to move into... This is one of them becoming quickly one of my favorite movies, period. Uh, the Big Short, uh, directed mm -hmm. by Adam McKay, uh, based on a book by Michael Lewis. And I'm going to say something about Michael Lewis's writing in general. He did Moneyball. Um, he did... Um, what's the one with... Um, fucking what's-her-face from <laughs> football... The, oh, blind the, the blind side with Sandra yes Bullock? the yeah. blind side so anyways in that book he, i mean in the book he talks about like the undervaluing of guards in right. football but he really is good at kind of translating what some of the ills in wall street are and like how they affect the public because he spent so much time in wall street yeah and he's just i recommend anybody to kind of take a look at his books they're really fantastic you know uh it kind of boils the whole situation down and kind of shows like what I liked about kind of this movie is that it does show idealists in this. I mean, it yes. shows the creeps too, but especially, you know, with Mark Baum and like really kind of looking at these people who are seeing this horror unfold. Yeah. Who work in finance, but don't participate in the cynicism and like, they're kind of powerless to do it. And all they can do is try to like, see if they can get a little something out of it. Yeah. Um, the big short, what's your thoughts? It's fantastic. It might actually be my favorite Wall Street movie of all time, just because it's so, it's 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 a dark comedy, 
Like, it's a laugh-out-loud movie that has some serious shit happening in it. Um, it's got some incredible characters, some um, just super quotable lines and memorable scenes in it. And it, it's got a, a, a feel of a documentary, almost, uh, in the shooting style, um, in the way that they present the information about what happened like it, it does go into detail about how all these things happen and they do a super creative job in the scenes explaining how it is one of my favorites is where they're talking about what a credit default swap is where they're basically betting on the shorts um and then someone else is, is making a bet on that bet and they got like they're in a casino or something and it's uh, i think it's and all the people are betting on what's going on at the craft yeah, table and stuff. Like, yeah, 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 like I love that. Just scenes like that where they talk and Anthony Bourdain during the doing the what's a CDO um, explanation, right? Talking about seafood stew and and all that stuff, and it's great. Just the whole thing is fantastic. It's not day old. It's not day old. It's not old fish. It's just something new. Yeah, exactly. I, I definitely think one of the challenges in making that film is trying to get people to understand what that is because it is super complicated. It is, and I think that's one of the things. Well, it's pro. It's one of the things that makes that film stand out is just how well they sort of did that, so that people could just completely understand what was going on, even if you weren't. You know, understanding the numbers, which the majority of us, we, we look at a wall of numbers and just go, what the fuck? So, yeah. It's funny because, like, I don't think you can really comprehend what's going on in that film without the understanding. And I think that was probably the initial challenge for Adam McKay when he did it. Yeah. Well, and also just to sort of, like, the characters in the film do such a good job of, you know, reacting to these things. And then y you as an audience member are kind of just like with them as well sort of reacting the same way but it's it's just it's great like i steve carell i think probably is the is, is my favorite character in the whole film i think this is a super standout film for him it might be his best role to be honest it, it's got to be up there maybe this and fox catcher but uh but he's really good in this movie and also shout out ryan gosling as well ryan gosling fucking is fucking hilarious it. like the quant scene and I love that there's also elements of improvisation there because, like, when he's talking about the quant and the fact that his quant is Asian and that must mean he's good at math, and then, like, Steve <laughs> yeah. Carell is like, well, that's racist. <laughs> and it's, like, thinking what everyone else is thinking. Yeah. Um, yeah, I honestly, in terms of Steve Carell, this is definitely one of his, like, Foxcatcher, he was fantastic as well. Um, I think this is definitely one of the movies that really moves his chains forward in terms of where he is as an actor and i thought he was able to do that well in the book it kind of talks a lot more about what's gone on with his kid it talks about or sorry with his brother it talks a lot about that sorry is it his brother in the in the movie yes i'm trying to remember if it's his kid in the book if it was or one of the other or i can't, I can't remember but like it really does well like one thing i did like about the book a little bit more than the movie was that it went into that emotional thing underneath it along with like fucking christian bale's character as well right. where mm -hmm. it but i think what i like about the mark baum character is that he really is not an idealist but he doesn't it, it he sees it as finance as a more honest endeavor and working as a service f for investors yes you know what i mean like because that's i think one of the things they talk about um you know they're going to talk about in uh inside job is that like this finance is for 
it, finance like it's a fi- the, the financial sector is a service industry yes you're not it's not it's not a product like necessarily but a lot of what they do is like helping people invest helping people create companies helping people create retirements helping money move creating wealth that way and mark Baum's character the mark bomb character is invested in that as what his job is right so his job is to get people you know is to manage this fund get his people money make smart investments and in that he starts to see all of this stuff unravel and it's the you know and it's mark uh, sorry it's um what's uh what's his face ryan gosling's character who really kind of like shows that to him and it's funny when he's talking about how he's like, I can't even, he's like, I almost respect him because he's so transparent in like what he's trying to do. Yeah. And would I buy a car from him though? Yeah. Would I buy a car from him? No, <laughs> but, uh, but I, I like, I like that, you know, in this movie, it's not all of these jaded care. It's not all of these necessarily negative characters, but it's people who are part of a system that is unraveling. And they're like, I can either take a piece of this yeah, because these guys are assholes or I can like it's gonna fall, the bottom's gonna fall out anyways. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I can't even really imagine what it's like being in that position because you're kind of like watching Rome burn as it's happening, and there's nothing you can really do about it. Yeah, um, I know it. It's a great film. What about the sleaziest character in it for you? Jeez, um, oh man, probably it's probably the guy that he has dinner with in Vegas. Yes, that's who I got. That's who yeah. I put. The yeah. CDO manager? The CDO manager, yes. That would be the sleaziest character in the whole thing. Yeah. It's this uh his character, I'm trying to remember what the name of the character is. Anyways, the actor who plays it is named Byron Mann. Guy's super mm-hmm. talented. He's in other stuff too. He does a fantastic job in this scene because you hate him. Yes. Uh and you're like, Can I how can I fucking punch him in the face? And that interaction they have is awesome. It's like yes. one of the, it's one of the coolest scenes just because he is at first, he doesn't quite get that Mark Baum is disgusted with him. Yeah. And then begins to see it after a while and then, like, is not apologetic about his him being a parasite. I know what you're thinking. What the fuck is a synthetic CEO? I love it. CDO, CDO. What the fuck is a synthetic CDO? I love that. But, yeah, it's it's a... I mean, it's a fucking crazy scene. He just, when he realizes that everything, the whole global economy might just collapse. <laughs> that, Bit of a heavy meal. <laughs> uh, yeah, and he's like sick to his stomach. And like that whole in Vegas situation, because Ryan Gosling's character is kind of like showing him this. And then he goes to that like little meeting. Yeah. Meeting where he's just, he asks a question, even though it's not time to ask questions. Mm-hmm. He just stands up, and when the guy's talking, he's like, I have a question. <laughs> um, and the guy's like, You must work for Bank of America. <laughs> and then everyone laughs, and you're just like, Wow, I'd love to drown every single person in the room. <laughs> that would be fucking hilarious. Um, it's an incredible movie. Uh, I de- definitely recommend anybody to watch it. And then, like, if you haven't read, uh, you know, any of Michael Lewis's books as well, I definitely uh, recommend mm-hmm. it. Let's talk about Inside Job. Uh, Let's. Uh, it's by Charles Ferguson, who all he did on this was write, direct, and produce it. That's it. Um, and it was a fan. I mean, this this was a big undertaking too, because especially since it's not. I mean, it was released in 2010. It's not that 
far off of it happening and you're compiling like that level of research for it um, and getting the you know sultry tones of matt damon to narrate it um this is the other flip side of uh, i think in terms of like financial documentaries this is probably the other of the best ones um it was just very well done like what was your what was your thoughts on it um it was great i i, I saw it um right around the time that it came out the first time I rewatched it for this. Um, it's it's fantastic. It's a super hard hitting documentary that, unlike the smartest guys in the room, which is about sort of one company, they touch on the sort of culture of of Wall Street a little bit in that. But they did a better job of sort of broadening that out and inside job and sort of talking about how everything basically accumulated to get to the point where it crashed, starting all the way back from you know, the Reagan era forward and how deregulation started. And then basically the end result of that is, is basically this crash. And they did such a really, really good job of explaining all of the different stages, how they got to that point from basically the ground floor. One of the things that it kind of explains really well is, I mean, it kind of explains the flip side of what the big short looks at where the big short looks really into the mechanics of it and it mm -hmm. does it as kind of minutely as it can for a film especially a f fictional one but inside job it, it does that but it really focuses on the idea of interconnectivity yes. and why that's dangerous mm -hmm. like yeah. when they make the um you know when they make like the fucking uh, the example with the boat with the different compartments yes and like the oil sloshing around yeah soros um who's uh, apparently according to QAnon, part of a jewish conspiracy uh <laughs> to dominate the world uh yes. so look out for that um yeah. it'll get you every time um <laughs> Like, that was the part I thought was really cool. Because, like, I think if you want to un understand the 2008 financial crisis as in layman term without looking, like, without being into finance just so you're informed, I would watch The Big Short and Inside Job together, which yeah. is kind of why we did them one after the mm -hmm. other. What, for you, was, like, the most chilling part of it? Oh, man. Like, it's all pretty chilling. I, I think just, like, you sort of... I guess the whole bit about Alan Greenspan and how they're just pushing for deregulation and you can just see exactly where it's going. Like the oversight just completely disappears and what you're left with is just, you know, this, this looming crisis. Um, and, and you can totally see it coming like with, with hindsight. And I think the documentary, as soon as that sort of part started coming out and then they started going with, um, and they started going on about deregulation and how all of these guys were, you know, getting government jobs and going back and forth like it's fucking the whole thing is just you know set up right to make money for wall street and i think that was just a whole that was really sort of uh like that like 15 minute stretch there sort of was was my favorite bit of the whole thing and i th think one of the big themes that the film tackles and you know charles ferguson really kind of attacks with it is this idea that there is no and per, this is on purpose obviously institutional memory in wall street mm -hmm. because i mean if you look at pre roosevelt and the depression general strikes capitalism is legitimately looking like the bottom may fall out of it like the regulations like glass teagle and all that were created um to prevent that from happening again seeing what happened and and, and creating the regulate re regulation for it and those regulations and like a controlled market is what oversaw 
Uh, I mean, obviously, there's other little imperialist things here, uh, f- you know, that contribute to the rise of the United States, but also like their economic system. At least it, it it tried to maintain a level of not falling fucking apart. Obviously, it was greed that people, you know, there, there was always been difference between rich and poor. But there's this idea of no, you know, of we need to correct the problem at least. But now, but this film creates this idea of no institutional memory where they forgot, obviously, what happened with the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. They created this deregulated market. Then there's the dot-com bubble burst. They clearly forgot what happened with the dot-com bubble bursting. Mm-hmm. And then there's another financial crisis. And then, you know, fucking... Then all of a sudden, Obama's people, like Bern, ben, uh, ben Bernanke and all them, are involved yeah. in it. And that's kind of what actually I liked about it is, too, that I didn't try to just hang it on Republican governments, although it does take them to task. Yes. But it also is like, listen, this Wall Street thing is beyond party. And it's like more of a class thing that, you know, isn't really going to stop because a certain government is in power. Yeah, exactly. As it's not, it's Wall Street is is paying for the government <laughs> so it doesn't yeah. matter who's there they're gonna pay somebody so yeah yeah and, and i like that kind of the, all these films there's a you know there's different different thematic elements that kind of come to tell like that narrative of it because i think whenever you're doing any kind of genre film whether it's documentary or fiction there's always the problem of retreading what, you know, and the same message and the same information and like how that, you know, manifests itself. So, I mean, that's one thing I thought that this did good is that it didn't kind of retread where, you know, the smartest guys in the room came from or like any yeah. of its like predecessors that it really kind of stuck out with a minimal amount of time from when it happened to kind of like assault what this problem was. I mean, I, and it, I believe it won the Oscar for, yes, uh, it did. for best documentary. Yes, it did in 2010. Another thing I actually really liked about it, um, that I was reminded about, uh, when I watched it the second time was how, um, how well, uh, they get pressed for, for questions to be answered in this. Um, like there are moments in this when Charles Ferguson really, really does kind of call them out on their shit during the interview. And that's not something I'm used to seeing all the time from a, an Academy Award winning documentary like this. Yeah, that one guy from the Bush administration who was one of the financial advisors of the Bush administration where he's like, you have three minutes, take your best shot. Yeah, I did this as a favor to you and all this kind of shit. And I think, well, because like seeing interviews with Charles Ferguson it was like a kind of a, a project of inner rage. Yeah. And it felt like that. The whole thing he, kind of felt like that. Actually. Yeah. It was definitely, it was definitely more, whereas like the smartest guys in the room is more analytical mm-hmm. and more like d- kind of diving into this massive amount of corruption. This film definitely feels like it comes from a place of rage. It comes from a place of we've been here before. Why is this happening again? Mm -hmm. And um, he doesn't let people off the hook. I think that's a really good point with that because it's got to be difficult and uncomfortable to do it. You know what I mean? To kind of prosecute this kind of, you know, um, and one of the guys even says this isn't a deposition, but I mean, if you're going to be asked about a financial crisis that you took part in, what do you think the interview is going to be like? Yeah. Seriously though. So, like, for this, it's not just good filmmaking. I think, like, the editing in it is also fantastic. Yeah. It's because really it, good. Because it allows it to be fresh without, um, and it moves well. Because, like, this kind of shit can get tedious. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Well, that's what I mean. Like, 
the reason that we picked these ones, well, these two particular documentaries is because I feel like they do a really good job at, at explaining everything, explaining the nitty gritty statistics on a level that you can completely understand what's going on. Um, and then once you kind of have that, then they really push with specifically with inside job, they really push the emotional factor of, you know, this collapse and how it affects everybody and, and how a group of people basically, you know, willfully knew what was going to happen. Didn't care. I mean, for me, the big part that like the, the most ridiculous, and this is also like my sleaziest guy in it, is uh, Richard Fold, who was like <laughs> the Lehman, who was like the Lehman Brothers. Yeah. Uh, who was like the Lehman Brothers CEO. And he talks about like they talk about how he's spending the minimal amount of time. Yes. Uh, he's spending the minimal amount of time interacting with people. So like he just basically manufactures his day to just like go from one thing to the other, like only being exposed for like minimal amounts of time. I, I think they said, back. what was it? Two and a half minutes or some shit. Yeah. Like said, he, yeah. They spent he gets say, like, in his two... elevator that goes right up to the 33rd floor, whatever the fuck it is. It's a one just right up to that floor. He's got his own private elevator. Yeah, the ice, the opening is actually kind of what I love the most too. Is I like it opens up with this little case study about Iceland. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm like, it's kind of like Iceland's like the little bud, like from Wall Street, but it's like the country version of it, where it's like, hey, we want to kind of like get in on this big capitalism thing, yeah, and we have normal markets, and then it like loses its soul and then turns <laughs> into a giant piece of shit yeah. because it was listening to all these people who felt that like deregulation was the way to go. Mm. So I thought like the ability to open that with like this idea of opening it with a case study, but making it interesting was really good. Um, also like the, the Fabrice Touré part where they're talking about how the securities are shitty yes. and then like they sell them to people anyways and then go in turn short them. Of course. And, yes. and in the deposition, they're like asking like, would you like, do you think it's a conflict of interest to say that something <laughs> is shitty, then try to sell it to your customers and then short it? And he's like, well, it really depends on the situation. And I'm like, these guys are fucking like, what? It certainly does. Depends whether or not you can. <laughs> it's like, I give you a hockey stick and then I go to someone else. And I'm like, bet you 10 bucks that thing breaks. Yeah because i just sawed it up a little bit and then it <laughs> yeah. fucking breaks and it's like oh shit um wow. like just, as i said in both of these movies it's the depositions that are really because they're like teenagers yes being questioned about something but they have no fucking but like they have no answer for it they have no answer for it because the answer is we're shitty that's we the answer do, we, for yeah it. the answer is we're pieces of shit and we did it because we wanted to make money yes. and fuck everyone else yes because we're fatalist that's literally what it is. So they yeah. can't say that. You can't say that in front of Congress. I'm yeah. a piece of shit. Oh, like, well, well, I'm glad we got that cleared up. Can I, can I go home now? <laughs> at least the Enron guys went to jail. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the whole Wall Street thing, that's part of the infuriating thing with it, right? That's the whole, the whole thing is that nobody really went to fucking jail. Yeah. Like, like my favorite is when they're talking about Paulson, Hank Paulson. And they're like, he's the luckiest one of them all. He had to sell all of his stock in Goldman Sachs because he went to work for George Bush. So he sold like $236 million or something like that. And obviously didn't lose a penny of it before 2008. And then, you know, he went to work bailing out the banks. So 
yeah, overall whole... this overall this was like a courageous piece of documentary filmmaking i absolutely like charles ferguson like very much deserved yes. to win uh, that documentary definitely deserved to win the oscar uh which is rare because usually things that deserve to win the oscars don't win it's a so uh, it's, a, it's a shit it's a very sobering documentary um, yes and it's just kind of a, oh yeah okay so this is what we're dealing with kind of thing this is what we're up against or people like this so okay and our cool. uh, our final film is the opposite of sobering. Uh, in <laughs> fact, that nobody is particularly sober in it, and that is uh, Martin Scorsese's tour de force uh, of Jordan Belfort, uh, The Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, uh, we all know what we think about this movie. Obviously, we love this movie, and it's oh. ridiculous. Here's, I got a question for you about this movie. Does mm-hmm. the ridiculous, because there is a very, like, people... I, I think that some of the criticism of it was that people are trying like people were trying to say, oh, this like almost like glamorizes um this glamorizes the whole situation. I'm like, I don't know if it glamorizes it. I think you're missing the point mm-hmm. is that this is a world without consequences. Yes. You know what I mean? Like that's the whole point of it. And it is a dark comedy supposed to be looking at that in like for me, it kind of hits the same notes as like Doctor Strange Love. Yeah. Where it's it's so ridiculous and over the top and but it says something uh, about it. Like, what's your thoughts on that? I think initially um, my thoughts about it when I first saw it was I could see why people say that, but it's one, you read the book. Um, I read Wolf of Wall Street. It's even more ridiculous than the movie is. It's first like, of all. it's actually ridiculous how it's, it's much, crazy. It's nuts. Yeah. Like everything that happens in the movie is exactly how it happens in the book. Like, on the page and then the book like i said the book is even more ridiculous like it's so much more crazier than the movie um they had like a six hour cut of it initially well i mean i'm sure scorsese wanted it (laughs) (laughs) it's it's completely necessary yeah it's for sure it's the quickest three-hour movie i've probably ever sat through to be honest with you like as far as the pacing of it went but sorry back to the original question you watch films like inside job and it's like they talk about Wall Street dudes doing everything that Leo does in this movie, like prostitutes, cocaine, fucking spending gratuitously on the most ridiculous shit, not giving a fuck about anybody while doing it. You know, they talk about it in Inside Job. They talk about it in The Smartest Guys in the Room. Um, yeah, like The Big Short, it's, it's, it's sort of like a cliche trope, I feel like. When we talk about Wall Street lifestyle and Wall Street culture, this is the film, though, that basically just puts it out there for what it is. It's ridiculous. It's crazy that these guys do this kind of shit, but it's 100% accurate based on everything, all the information that we have. And it's not the only film that's sort of done this or at least brought to attention what these guys get up to you know so all of these films have some element of it less yeah. so wall like wall street um because i think that's more centering around gordon gecko and but, he like relies but it, on desolate but it's still there yeah, yeah but like inside job they're literally talking to a madam yeah yeah 100 percent. and they're like oh yeah no i got business cards for every major investment bank yeah like i got you know statements like corporate money paying for prostitutes and, and all and all kinds of stuff right like it's fucking nuts yeah it's so you nuts. can't be like this is hollywood yeah, this is this, this is this is bullshit <laughs> no it's <laughs> like all of this like, shit no. is actually happening and these guys are you know like they're fucking insane yeah and his life at the end of the day his life falls apart but the overall 
like but he's recovered i mean i'm sure he's not a better person no it also but like back to the whole thing about it glamorizing it like do you like do people really watch this and think this is a good way to to sort of spend your time well this was some of the criticism of it like it's almost like that the critical criticism of it was that of of that i mean obviously it was a very popular movie it Mm -hmm. did very well nominated for oscars but like the one of the big criticisms of it was that um but i don't think i think if you're looking at it at face value just like at from a superficial level that's fine but like the end monologue kind of says it all is like this is what it is right like you can more you can that you will destroy your life and lose your family and all these things and it's not something he isn't going through moral anguish about right but at the end of the day especially when it shows like the police officer like the the fbi guy on the subway at the end as well mm-hmm. is that it f- says it speaks volumes about what is kind of valued in the united states yes and, and like in any western power but more so like in that environment and like uh, like i think it's very transparent about that this isn't good they make it funny because it's supposed to be a dark comedy, but like the Cold War wasn't funny, but Strange Love was hilarious because yeah. all it did was it, it talked about it, it's surrealism, it's the ludicrousness of it. I would also like to point out that just because something is entertaining doesn't mean it's glamorizing it. Yes, so, I agree with that. And I mean, this is the case for Wolf of Wall Street. Like, yeah, is it entertaining to watch these guys do all this crazy dumb shit? Well, yeah, it's hilarious. I mean, you got fucking Jonah Hill. And Leonardo DiCaprio on lewds fucking pulling a phone cord in the kitchen for 10 minutes trying to get him off the phone. Like, it's fucking unbelievably entertaining. But no but, one's like, I gotta do this. You yeah, know what but, I mean? Oh, man. Like, yeah. Well, Kyle, what the fuck are we doing here? Like, let's go yeah. get some lewds and fucking do this Yeah, shit. why aren't we on lemons getting fucked up ruining our marriages? Um so, yeah, and I think, yeah. It's just really entertaining. And it's, it's, not, uh, it's, it's not glamorizing anything. It's just entertaining. That's it. Like uh, it's, I think fu- it's fun to watch bad people do stuff. Too. Yeah, well, of course it does. But yeah. you know, Scorsese always gets asked this question about a lot of his films. You know, same thing with Goodfellas, right? Are you glamorizing the mob? It's like, well, you know, it, it's it's always more interesting to sort of view the world through a lens that you'll never get to experience yourself. In particular, being a gangster or being a fucking, you know, Wall Street heavyweight. That's pulling in all kinds of cash and just living frivolously. Like, of course, it's interesting to see what actually goes on. But, yeah, I'm not going to go out tomorrow and fucking act like that. And I think the part that people also overlook, too, is like these are based on books. Like, you look at Goodfellas, Mm -hmm. right? Like, this is based on a lifestyle that is very much outlined, you know, in Henry Hill's book. Yeah. Like, this isn't, it's not like, like... And even it's funny because when you like, for example, like using the Goodfellas as an example, if you listen to Richard Pryor talk about in his comedy about these guys, they do funny shit. But it's about the the whole thing is about like it's the absurdity of it. Right. And absurdity has been in satire since satire started. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Right. Like it was in Inferno by fucking Dante, you know, moving forward, you know, you get it with fucking, you know, Jonathan Swift and Gulliver's Travels. You get it with fucking, uh, you know, Mark Twain when he's not being, you know, uh, situationally racist for his time. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Like it's there. I mean, and like even John Stewart, someone like him, whenever like you're putting a mirror to what is happening in society, there is going to be a ridiculousness of it. And you, at the end of the day, you're not going to get the message across unless this is like very few people outside of Woodbridge looked at Goodfellas and were like, this is something I need to participate in. Yeah. We should all get together. Um, we'll meet outside the Fortinos and we'll fucking decide how we're going to start our own crew. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to fucking Kimiso Bakery and this is what's just going to happen. Uh, we're going to get the meatball hero and we're going to fucking do this. Yeah. So what for this was the scene that like defines how shitty wall street is in this i mean there is so many probably the first scene where he talks to his new crew um and where they make that first phone call about like when he first gives them the script in the old uh mechanics garage and he's got the guy on the phone um trying to wheel him in for you know 10 grand of of a blue chip stock and he's basically explaining to them how you know they're gonna basically steal money from everybody. You know the one I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, it's the fucking sick scene. I was thinking because when I was doing when I was like doing notes for this, I'm like it was that one because he just lays out bare like how they're gonna do it, right? Yeah, and all the gestures that he's making while he's on the phone with them, like yeah. he's fucking wheeling him in and he's fucking got him bending him over, and th- thrusting away yeah. like it's fucking yeah, it's, and it's just somebody and their money. It's just so blatantly shitty. Like it's just so over the like not over the top. But seemingly over the top. And just like, wow. Like it's just on the other end of the line, there's just twenty dudes standing around watching you fucking lose your money. <laughs> like, it's fucking crazy. Uh for me, the Matthew McConaughey scene, yeah. Um, that one is just classic. He's like because the, at this point he's that fresh faced guy still. Mm-hmm. He's like, uh, you take uh you take drugs uh <laughs> during work. He's like Tootski? He's like, yeah. Like <laughs> He's like, of course I do. He's like, you jerk off during the day. It's like, like, it's like this whole fucking thing. And, um, you know, it's that scene. And then the one where he's like talking to them be- about being like telephone terrorists and he's rallying them all. And it's almost like the fucking Nuremberg rally for Christ's sakes. Mm. And like, that's a big thing that's kind of per- like perpetuated throughout all of these films to an extent too, is the culture that's created of like, it's like this machismo culture where, you know, it's like this is what we're doing, and it's us versus the world, and we're and taking other people's money is like part of it, and we're happy to do it. And then like he pretty much gives the greed is good scene too. He's like, yeah. well, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna stay stay there and be in debt and be in this, or are you gonna fucking do something for it? And that yeah. do something for it is committing, you know, financial crimes. Yeah. Well, there's no nobility in poverty. <laughs> exactly. It's like the <laughs> right. new fucking greed is good. Yeah. And then just to wrap it up here, who is the sleaziest? Is it Jordan Belfort? Is there worse? Uh, I, I was going to say him because, I mean, he's a perfect contender for it. Jonah Hill's character is pretty sleazy. I mean, they're he's basically... His cousin. And he, and, and he does smoke crack. So, I yes. mean, uh, it could, I think it could go either way. Or like any, like any one of uh, his sort of original four four or five person crew that he sits down with at that diner could probably could probably be the sleaziest character but 
Yeah, Jordan might be. He is the mastermind of the whole thing, after all. He's like the anti-Gordon Gecko, Gordon Gecko. He's like a guy that wants to be Gordon Gecko. But he has no discipline to but do he has, it. He has no fucking discipline, and yeah, he just... He's just, yeah. He's, like Gordon he's, Gecko's waking up in the morning reading The Art of War. Yeah, Gordon Gecko's getting up at like 4.30 in the morning... Like fucking trading in Japan, yeah. And then he's, fucking... he's on the phone as soon as he wakes up. Like his alarm goes off at four thirty. He's on the phone at four thirty one. Right. Yeah. Like George Belfort's like coming out of a pool of his own vomit. <laughs> <laughs> what a great movie! What a great movie. On that uh, pool of vomit note, uh, John, we have uh, reached the end. Uh, thank you for doing this. This Amen. was uh, a lot of fun. I love looking at the uh, hilarity and uh, moral depravity of Wall Street. And the only thing you can do is laugh because if not, uh, your vein in your eye might pop. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so, anyways, have a good one, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.